So if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 3. I want to talk about that. Next week, we're going to finally get back into Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 3, and we will, by the grace of God, finish that up this spring. But here in John chapter 3, let me give you a little bit of a background. Jesus is just starting his ministry. He has gone to Jerusalem. He drove out the money changers, uh, which, by the way, got a lot of people's attention. He then began to heal a lot of people. That got a lot of people's attention. And as you get to chapter 3, there's a man by the name of Nicodemus who's a, he's a leader. He's a Pharisee. He's probably part of the Sanhedrin. We'll see it here in just a moment. Who comes to him? Let's talk about it. Verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the, of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you had come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter to the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. You know, so often as I get the opportunity to have conversations with people and we begin to talk about spiritual things and this idea of knowing that we're going to heaven, that we have that assurance of eternal life. And, and most people believe that or they want to believe that. But when we get to the idea, the basis over and over and over again, what I hear them run to is this idea of, well, this is what I have done. This is the box I have checked. This is the, the hoops that I've jumped through. This is the, you know, the church that I've been a part of. And it comes down to this point of religion. And sadly, just like with Nicodemus here, religion often gets in the way of truth. In fact, Nicodemus really reminds us of the failure of religion. He knew the law. He knew it backwards and forwards. He's a part of Sanhedrin. 71 men who were the, the leaders of the Jews of all the kind of the social, religious, and economic life. He, he knew it all, and yet he's, he's literally lost when it comes to talking to Jesus about having this relationship. And so what Jesus says to him in the midst of knowing the law, being schooled in the law, and yet being so lost, is he reminds him that he's to be born again. I couldn't help but what Paul said in Galatians. He says this, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Religion leads to a dead end. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell him. And so Jesus looks at him and says, you have to be born again. He says it there in verse 3. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, what's interesting, and I don't mean to bore you with Greek stuff, but the, the Greek word there that's translated again, every other time outside of chapter 3 that John uses it, it's actually translated from above. And I think that's probably a better translation, this idea of being born again. We need to be born from above. It's something that's outside of us. It's not a box that we check, a hoop that we jump through, a ritual that we go through, but that we are born from above. It's something outside of us that helps us, that transforms us immensely. And Jesus says this is the requirement. In fact, notice he says, unless one is born again, he'll not see the kingdom of God. He repeats it in verse 5. Truly, truly, I say, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And he puts it like this in verse 7. Do not be amazed that I said, you must be born again. So I was sitting there thinking, how can I make this as clear as possible to everybody this weekend? So I kind of envisioned us sitting down having a glass of iced tea because I don't drink coffee. God's liberated me from that. How could I communicate it to you? So if I were to start in, in, in that kind of a setting, basically what I'd always like to start with is the good news. And, and the good news is simply this, that, that God offers us heaven as an absolute free gift. It doesn't come with cost. It's not something that we earn, something we deserve. It is not the result of religion. Now let me back up here a little bit. Because this idea that heaven is a, is a free gift, really people stumble over that. Because as people, if we have something of value, we always charge. But it's not God's way. God's way is to give us stuff for free. In fact, for instance, you think about what do we need for life? Uh, we need oxygen, right? Can I ask you, what does God charge you for the oxygen? Nothing, right? Now, if man can put it in a bottle, they're going to charge you, right? But not God. God gives it to us for free. What else do we need? <coughs> well, we need, we, we need sunshine. What does God charge us for the sunshine? Nothing. God's way is grace. God's way is to give it to us for free. In fact, so much so, the Bible says that we can't earn it or deserve it. In Ephesians, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. I thought, man, how can I illustrate this? So, let me see. I've got this great little booklet, and I want to give this away to somebody, so see if this might be something that would uh, speak to you. It's called Streams in the Desert. It's 366 daily devotional so it works this year for the leap year it is my one of my mom's favorite books when we walked through a really difficult time as a family she was just really struggling not with her faith but it just seemed like God was so silent and like she was in the wilderness as it were and somebody gave this book to her, and it so ministered to her heart. And I got thinking, maybe there's somebody here this weekend who's really going through a hard time, and that sounds like that would minister to your heart. Is there somebody who would like the book? All right, Bobby, uh, come here, come here. 
Can you come and get this? Thank you. Would that be good? All right. Well, there, well, you didn't win. You didn't do anything. It was a gift, right? Oh, by the way, I need 10 bucks for the book. Now, let me ask you. If I asked for 10 bucks for the book, was it a gift? No. No. A gift has to be given freely. It has to be received freely. The Bible says that God offers us heaven as a free gift. And the reason it's got to be free is because of what the Bible says about us. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. And because we're sinners, we can't save ourselves. And i got to be honest with you, there's sometimes I get to speak in front of other crowds that are not you. They're not as friendly towards me as you all are. And this is where I always, I, I sense the pushback. I, I sense the, ooh, they don't like where I'm going here. Because we like to think we're okay. We're all good. For some of us who are a little older, we remember the, you know, I'm okay, you're okay. In that sense that we're kind of all good. Down, If you get down deep enough, we're all good. And that's a great thought, except the Bible says, there's a good Greek word for it, right? It's, it's just not true. It's just not true. Because what the Bible says is that we're all sinners. Back in that very powerful passage in the book of Romans Paul brings it to this point of climax, and he starts with Romans 3.10. There is none righteous, no, not one. And then he quotes all of these scriptures in the Old Testament, and he summarizes it at the end in verse 23. For all, all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says about us. Now, again... I've had this discussion. I know now what, you know, what many of us think, but okay, so I'm not perfect, but I'm better than most, right? I, I, I've never killed anybody. I've never robbed a bank. I've never torched a building. Well, I did meet somebody who torched a building once, so that didn't work. Um, but I haven't done any of those bad things. So we think, well, okay, so I'm not perfect, but it's not that bad of a thing. But, but, I think what we miss is we miss what sin really is. Sin is anything in my life. Not just these bad things. It's anything in my life where I fall short of what God himself would do. Sin could be something bad that I do. It could be something good that I should have done that I didn't do. Sin can be an attitude in my heart. Jesus says if you hate your brother, you're like a murderer. And man, I tell you, you know, if you've driven around here recently, now I know we have snowbirds and I'm going to be kind. <laughs> but, you know, my attitude takes a beating out there, right? It's like, where did they learn to drive? And when I think about sin in that kind of a context, I hate to think about how many times a day I fall short of what Jesus would have done. He wouldn't have had that thought. He wouldn't have said that. Well, let's suppose that there's somebody who really wanted to try to earn their way to heaven. So they discipline their life. They watch everything they say. They try to purify their thoughts. They try to do everything good that they can and stay away from everything bad. And, you know, they get it down to what? Just even three times. 
three times a day that they do anything less than Jesus himself. I, I mean, like a walking angel, right? Yeah. Have you ever thought about that person from God's perspective? In a year's time, they would have sinned over a thousand times against God. So I'm 59. That would mean on my record, there would be 59,000 sins against God. How would you like to stand before a judge today? He says, how do you plead? Ah, not guilty, your honor. I mean, I wasn't perfect, but I really didn't do anything bad. He opens up the book. There's 59,000 felonies on your record. It isn't going to go very well. And that's why the Bible says that it is impossible for us to save ourselves. And even when you begin to understand that, yes, God is a God of love because he is, he's loved us with an everlasting love, he's also, though, just. He has to punish our sin. So this creates this huge dilemma. But remember, he offers us heaven as a free gift. How does that work? Well, that's where Jesus comes in. You see, Jesus, as the perfect God-man, came to die for us. He came to stand in my place, to bear my sin. He came so that I could be forgiven. You think about John who wrote this book and how he starts it in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then a few verses later, he says, and the word became flesh. Jesus, God, became a human like us. Now, he lives a perfect life. Why? Because he is Jesus. He is God. He never sins. But now he goes to the cross, and he pays the penalty for my sin, your sin. He does what we cannot do, and he satisfies God. The best way I ever heard this illustrated was like this. Let's suppose instead of this being a Bible, let's suppose that this were a record of my life. So it would start with my birth certificate. Someday it will end with my death certificate. And written on the pages of this book are everything I've ever done, ever said, ever thought. Every attitude of my heart is written down. Now, I'll tell you two things about my book. Number one, it'd be a lot bigger or have really small print because I'm 59 now. Second thing is I can guarantee you I wouldn't bring it out here in public because I wouldn't want any of you looking for it later. Because though you may thumb through and see some good stuff, you'd find some stuff in my book that I don't want anybody to know. And so here, this is the problem. Here's me. Here's the sin, and here's a holy God. The Bible says God loves me and wants to give me eternal life, but there's something in my way, and that's sin. And I want to get to heaven, and I'm trying to get close to God, but there's something in the way. Here's what religion does. Religion tries to fix the problem by saying, well, hey, why don't you, why don't you start going to church? Or why don't you get real serious? You can turn over a new leaf. Or... We'll baptize you. I'm not going to ruin my Bible. Uh, but it would just be wet. And God says, no. So what God did is he became a man like us. And as Jesus goes to the cross, God takes all of my sin and places it upon Jesus. 
And now all the wrath and the punishment that my sin deserves, he pours out on Christ. In fact, I love how Isaiah puts it. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. And so Jesus hangs on the cross. God pays my sin, your sin upon him. He pays the penalty. In fact, what's so interesting is what he says when he's just about ready to die. He says, it is finished. In his language, to tell us die. It was a common word used in the marketplace every day that simply meant the debt is paid. Why on God's green earth, when you're about ready to die, would you say the debt's paid? Because that's why he came. He came to pay my debt and your debt. He then dismissed his spirit. He died. They took him down. They put him in a cold, damp tomb. And then on the third day, he rose up so that now, because he's taken our sin away, we can have a relationship with him. That's the good news. Now, the question then is, is how do we get that? What does it mean to be born from above it means that i come to the point where i put my trust and my faith in jesus and in jesus alone it's not just simply well i believe in god or you know i've gone to church i know about jesus no it's it's not simply that i mean people said when walk by hurled abuse at jesus as he's dying they knew he was dying it wasn't causing them to be born from above no, it's the knowledge that he's the son of God, that he died for me, and now I put my trust in him and in him alone. If I could illustrate it, let me do it this way. <coughs> Sitting here in this chair, let's let this chair represent me. Everything I'm trying to do to get to heaven, the good stuff, the, you know, trying to do good things, you know, help the little old ladies across the street, whatever it is. I can know about Jesus, but that really does me no good. I might even go through, you know, that time of my life we kind of got a medical crisis and I say, Lord, you know, help me with that. And he does, but really it doesn't do me any good as long as I sit here trusting in what I'm doing, trusting in my church attendance, trusting in, in, in all the hoops and the boxes that I've checked. And it's not until I realize these things will never get me to heaven. And I come and now I put my faith and my trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Not Jesus plus this stuff, but in Jesus alone. That is what it means to be born from above, to be born again. It's that relationship where I believe that Jesus died for me, and now I put my trust in him. So the question becomes, have you done that? See, that's the great news. You can do that today. You can be born from above. There are no hoops to jump through, boxes to check. There's no light that you've got to clean up. Jesus only takes us one way, and that is just as we are because we're not trusting in ourselves anymore. We're trusting in Jesus. Do you mind bowing your head and heart with me for a moment? I don't know why the Lord asked me to do this this weekend. But I got a sneaking suspicion that maybe it's because there's somebody here 
kind of religious. Maybe been going through some tough stuff and just trying to get back into church, trying to get back into God's good graces. And he wanted you to understand it's not about what you have done, good or bad. It's not even about what you will do, good or bad. It's about Jesus and what he's already done for you when he died for you. You see, faith is a decision of the will. You choose to believe. I choose to put my faith in him. And you can do that right where you are. Just there in your heart, Lord, I, I, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died for me. Please come into my life. If you ask him, he'll do it. It's simply faith. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, it is so hard for us. We, we trip over the simplicity of the story so often. We're so used to, we've got to earn it. We've got to deserve it. We've got to measure up. That's just how our life is. We have to have the money to buy it. And Lord, I am so grateful that what you provide, you provide without cost. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. It's simply grace because you came, you died, you paid it all. And Lord, maybe for that person here for the very first time, that light bulb has gone on in their heart. Lord, may they even now in this moment choose to put their faith, their trust in you. And Father, I pray that you would help them to understand that now, as they have been born from above, they have been born again. That this begins now a new life that you call them to. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question is then, if that's what causes someone to be born from above, then what are we doing here? Ah, see, baptism signifies that we have accepted that truth. You know, I don't know. I don't know your heart. I don't know your relationship with the Lord. But there very well could have been somebody here who for that very first time that made sense. And so you just invited Jesus you, into your life. You just put your trust in him. Hallelujah, that's great. But I don't know it. person sitting next to you probably doesn't know it. But you know it. And so what we were given by Jesus himself is this picture of baptism to let everyone, to let the church know, to let the world know that we have become his followers. And that's why baptism, we call it believer's baptism because it has to take place after we have believed, after we have been born again. You'll hear in uh, today, possibly, and, and from time to time, people that were baptized as an infant, but an infant can't believe. They can be dedicated, they can be made wet, but they can't believe. So it's not through because we went through a ritual that we're saved. It is because we put our faith in Jesus, and once we do that, no matter what has happened in the past, 
the Bible tells us to take this step and to let the world know that we have become his disciples